Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Movies. As always, I'm Johnny Mockney, and in today's episode, I got to talk to a great comedian and huge movie buff, Robert Schneider. Robert wanted to talk specifically about the 1987 Ninja B-movie cult classic, uh, Miami Connection. Miami Connection is a real gem if you're into the sort of underground ninja movie craze of the 80s, as you'll hear us talk about here, and as uh, Robert's very well versed in. And uh, also, if you are just a fan of finding those like lesser known uh, grindhouse classics, <laughs> and uh, this movie specifically was uh, dormant for quite a while before it was resurrected. Um, in this century <laughs> and uh luckily it's around for us to see and obviously i highly recommend going to see it and then coming back and enjoying our conversation on this episode of we are movies i uh so i just wanted to start with um a kind of a simple question that i ask everybody i mean i, I know that you're you're quite a cinephile uh, I don't know if you just, des- would you describe yourself as that? I would. I would. Okay. Where, where do you think, uh, if you can't pin, if you can pinpoint a moment or, a, or an area in your life where you think you kind of came to terms with that, what do you think that was? It was when I saw Brazil. Okay. It was in the theater. I had, there were stories about how Universal wanted to edit the ending, which is the only reason I went to go see it. Right. And at that moment, I just fell in love with movies. Okay, so Brazil, the Terry Gilliam movie, right? Yeah. 85? Okay. Yes. Okay, yeah, I love that movie. Um, and, and I'm assuming you've since seen the, uh, the international, like the, the, the uncut version. Yeah. yeah, when Criterion put that out, it was like a first day buy for me. <laughs> right, um, and that recontextualizes a lot of uh, the ending, too, especially. Yeah. Um, also, I'll also point, point another point. The first time I ever went to Thomas Video, which was this amazing video store in Royal Oak that basically was just all cult movies. It was there I discovered some all the Something Weird titles. Oh, um, sure, yeah. God, that's where I discovered Suspiria and The, and the Beyond. Well, oh, hey, I, funny you bring that up. I just got the Blu-ray for The Beyond like the other Ooh. day. It arrived in the mail. That's a, um, that is an amazing film. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, was that your introduction to full sheet when you, uh, yes, it was. Okay. Okay. Was, that's it was, great. It was the, the first full film I ever saw. The video store and the video rental places is where people like full sheet, you know, were made for like to, to just sift through covers and to pick movies based on that. Oh. I weep that the video store is dead. Oh yeah. Me too. Like, if you ever get a chance to go to Seattle, there was an amazing store called Scarecrow Video. Okay. Um, two floors, and it's just like a museum of videotapes, DVDs, Blu-rays. And wow. I would go there every week, not just to buy stuff, but just to peruse and wish I had a VCR. <laughs> Is it it's still open, you said? Yeah, they, uh, it was about to go to business a few years ago, but the employees ended up buying it. and Wow. It's still running. I think they got some sort of uh, endowment from the state. That's that's really cool. Um, that's an inspiring story. To, to, um, to that honestly warms my heart. Um, so, I I'm a kind of a believer, and because I'm a big fan of people like like Fulci and and you know sort of deep cut genre filmmakers, and I also really love bad movies. Uh, and the movie you chose for today is is a it's a bad movie in the sense that it's uh, <laughs> um, unsuccessful at what it's at its you know in terms of filmmaking it's a, it's a bad movie but I I've come to a point now and I had this experience watching this movie the Miami Connection that I I don't know the difference in feelings anymore between <laughs> when I watch a really good genre movie and when I watch a bad movie. Because I get the same rush, almost. I, I would not say this movie is bad. I will say this movie is ambitious. Yes. For, for, <laughs> for a first-time screenwriter yeah. who had... Screenwriter, director, and actor. Actually, he did not direct it. 
Oh, well, I, I thought he did. Someone I, else did. Um, well, somebody else directed it, but what I'm reading is he was sort of like a ghost director. Hmm, um, that might that might be that might be. But because uh, yeah, on IMDb it says uh, PK uh, is like the an uncredited director. Um, okay. In addition, uh, but yeah, big, uh, very ambitious for somebody's first project. <laughs> but the interesting thing about this movie is the story of how it got revived is actually more interesting than the movie itself. Yes. Yeah. With um, draft house films, right? Yeah. Well, they ended up one one of the programmers of the Alamo Draft House, the main one in Austin bought a bunch of uh, reels sight unseen off of eBay and he would play the first reel at this first first reels of these movies at some sort of a event that they would have. And this movie got such a great response that (laughs) they actually started showing it and it became pretty much overnight a cult event to the point where they had to get in contact with PK to see if they could release it. And he thought it was a joke. (laughs) That's, I, I can't imagine the feeling of like, if you just buy this random print, cause that's what you do and you, and you just start watching it and Miami connection begins just the feeling of having just struck gold, uh, <laughs> in discovering this. I, I, I just, I can't imagine how they all must have looked at each other and realized that they had something. Well, I think when you go to the first scene of the Miami ninjas attacking <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, the Coke distributors. Right. And then quickly going from there to Park Avenue, Central Florida's hottest nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wrote in my notes uh, watching this the other day that um, the opening scene is one of, like, hey, this movie doesn't waste any time because you come right into the, the cocaine ninjas scene. And it was that feeling of, like, you have this... <laughs> Uh, it's automatically just there. There are people getting chopped in the face with swords, um, and it's wonderful. And then after that whole sequence, uh, you see the you know the ninjas reconvene, and one of them's you know he's angry they didn't get the drugs, uh, and and then it just cuts to the title, and I it was that feeling of oh my gosh we're still at the beginning because <laughs> I was so like I was just I was like oh man if that's the beginning I can't wait to see the rest of this movie you know. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go back. I, the first time I saw it was at the sidewalk film festival in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, in this, wow. In this gigantic theater for like an 11 o'clock showing of it. Um, the theater probably fits about 1500 people. There were 20 of us in there. <laughs> <laughs> was the, it a good experience or people? Oh, it, into it? It, was, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Really? Had you already heard a lot about it at the time? I, re- I read about it. Okay. And, um, they released the they released the clip for a friend the Friends Forever song online, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I knew I had to go see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um I think the first time I heard about this one was uh, Red Letter Media covered it on Best of the Worst many years ago, like towards the beginning of their show. And um, I don't think I had thought about it since I didn't actually watch the whole film. Um until you suggested it for this. And, uh, and I'm so glad you did. Uh, cause I, I'm, I'm a big, uh, like I said, I'm a big connoisseur of, of, I'm going to say quote unquote bad movies. Uh, you know, what some might deem bad movies. Uh, and, and I want to know what, when you're looking for something that might be, um, a quote unquote bad, good movie. What do you think distinguishes that between that and just a bad movie that you don't want to watch? The fact if you, that you want to share it with your friends. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that's what makes it like, I mean, you, you, you said you have the Rocky Horror Picture Show poster on your wall. Right. All in all, that is a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's also addictive that you're like, hey, you got to see this. Yes. I, yeah, I agree. And there's also something that this movie has that I think is really key to making a great bad movie. And that's sincerity. Uh, Cause the intentions behind this movie are not cynical at all. This is clearly a passion project of sorts uh, for PK. Um, and I, I think that's, if you compare that to maybe a more cynical, like a, a Sharknado or some kind of sci-fi channel, like nobody in it really thinks they're making something worth watching. They're like, ah, we know we're making trash, but that's, you know, 
people will see it. It'll play on TV. Or, or nowadays, there's a lot of cheapo direct-to-DVD action movies that you find in, like, a Walmart bin, right? That's, like, usually Bruce Willis is in them. <laughs> and um, none of those movies, I think, have that sincerity and passion and uh, sort of, like, auteurism <laughs> of somebody like PK, who, who clearly is making a movie that's so for himself, you know? Well, I think he was making it because he probably saw that the ninja, the ninja movie craze was still going on at that time. Sure, he, yeah. You had the Shokasogi films like Enter the Ninja, Return the Ninja, and my absolute <laughs> favorite, Ninja 3, The Domination. Uh, the, the one with the possession in it, right? Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> that, that we should talk about that on another episode. Yes. <laughs> because that one's utterly, utterly fantastic. But the, I, he's a man who saw that this was a craze and yeah. said, you know what? Let's make our own ninja movies. I run a Taekwondo school. I have yeah. all the people here who can be in it. <laughs> and then he sat down to write a script. And what I like best is this script is total wish fulfillment. Yes. Yeah, I'm in a rock band. I, I run a <laughs> dojo. We're a bunch of orphans who are in the band. We're all Taekwondo masters. Right. And we come into, and we'll come into conflict with, you know, one of the band members, girlfriend's brother though i do want to talk about that because i realized something while watching it what the other day yeah i think they dubbed in every time they said it was her brother because the relationship is so fucking weird it's a little strange you can't quite tell what it is and and the brother is also at the beginning, I couldn't tell what kind of character he was supposed to be. And then I later was like, oh, okay, I guess he's just an antagonist. Because um, there's a great scene where she's like, she says like, oh, this is my friend. And he's like, a friend! And then just punches the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and that, was, that part is obviously dubbed. <laughs> yes. Well, there's a lot of moments in this movie where they just cut to a wide shot. Or they cut to some like something from far away. And then you get a lot of exposition and conversation over that shot. Where I realized there was a lot of, there was a lot of writing and post for this movie. <laughs> Oh, man, I, I, I wish I could have been in Orlando when this movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it played for two weeks, apparently. In eight theaters. In eight theaters. That's Yeah, yeah I, I saw that people actually reviewed it when it came out, too, and called it like, oh, it's the worst movie of the year and stuff like that. And I kind of look at people like that, and I just want to be like, you fools. Like, <laughs> I wonder what they were, you know, they weren't judging it on the proper metric. Well, because no, they were judging it as if it was a proper film. Right. It they were was, judging it against other action movies, I guess. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, this came out in what year? Uh, 88? 88, yes. Yeah. So if this came out in 88, that, oh, 87, um, which is the year before Die Hard came out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I think uh, the same year, if not the year after Predator. So... The standards for mainstream action cinema were obviously, um, you know, high, and I think that it's kind of. But in the end of the at the end of the day, when you're watching a low budget film from a first time writer and and uh, actor called the my and actor called the Miami Connection, a little ways into this movie, you have to start realizing that putting this up against Predator is not the the, <laughs> the fair juxtaposition to make. It, but you, got, you got to think about looking at, at a historical perspective mm-hmm. that a lot of times these movies, no matter what they were, were frowned upon. Right. Because yeah. they, they weren't mainstream. They weren't, they didn't have a high enough budget. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you, and this was way before your time, um, Siskel and Ebert used to have a show uh, called Sneak Previews and at the movies where they would have their dogs of the week, which was the worst movies that came out. Right. And those were the movies that I went to video stores to devour. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Cause they already have those, the preconceptions about like the entire category of movies. Um, and, and so it's like, Oh, it's a cheapo ninja movie. I already know it's bad. There's, you know, there's it, rather than judging it against other cheapo ninja movies. It, it's in the grand scheme of movies. I think they're all bad. That was the the mentality. I'm assuming. And with this one, the movie does take some detours with the whole subplot with the rival band and the trying to yes. get back into the club. Um, yeah. The character who found his father. <laughs> yes, which is a a great little subplot. Um, which when it happens, 
is the when they first introduced that subplot, it is the most drastic, jarring tonal shift. Well, <laughs> it, it happens in the second act. Yeah, <laughs> and it's weird because it starts off kind of goofy and fun. They're like holding the guy's mail away from him, and then he takes it back. And then he reads this letter, and immediately he starts crying and goes into this long, weepy monologue, which, by the way, reeks of a monologue written by somebody who's... Uh, second language is English because he <laughs> says something like my mom was Korean. My father was black American <laughs> or something. It was just did not. But I, I, one thing, like I said, the sincerity, this guy is acting his heart out. Like he looks like he's really crying and he's facing the, the screen. It's so like, I just, I love the effort so much. Yeah. It's, and that's the, that's the thing that people love when they watch it. It's yes. that, and are we seeing this? <laughs> <laughs> and yet, it's so bad. It, it I hate to say it's so bad. It's good. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, and um, and also in the way that it's not cynical, it's very. Um, it, it's clearly a message movie. You know, it's it's. Uh, it reminds me of the kind of wholesome ideas of shows that I watched as a kid, like Walker, Texas Ranger, where they're trying to combine martial arts with also, you know, teaching you a way of life. And uh, I mean, the main characters are a rock band, but they're singing songs about friendship and about how they're anti-violence. The Against the Ninja song is like against violence. You know, um, it's, it's really ironic they wrote a song called Against the Ninja right. and ended up fighting <laughs> ninjas. Yes, yeah. It's almost as if they were asking for it. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the takeaway I got from the movie is don't date the local thug sister. Yes. <laughs> That's true. Um, but then I, I really like, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of scenes. So, it, yes, they know martial arts. They go to, you know, they, they train in Taekwondo, but something that's kind of hinted at in this movie is that in this universe, everybody knows martial arts. Cause, um, there's like a there's a little like a spat between like the 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 booker at the like where they perform and like this other band and they just start fighting like they they're arguing and then it just turns into a very well choreographed brawl <laughs> spontaneously. <laughs> I, I have to tell you the other band their business acumen is so fucking bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When they go to the local thugs to try to help to get rid of Dragon Sound. They're like, we will give you 100% of our earnings. <laughs> What's the they, point? They started at 100 also. They, <laughs> who starts? <laughs> like, uh, oh, yeah. People who play at Park Avenue, Central Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like at the end of the... I guess, you know, they're just performing. They just want the crowd, man. They don't even need... As an open mic comic, I, I know that uh, <laughs> sometimes we'll, we'll settle for the crowd over money. I think when I start producing shows again, I'm going to introduce it like, welcome to Green Bay Comics, Michigan's hottest basement comedy club located <laughs> in a comic store. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I, I noticed that in the, there's a style of writing as the movie went on, I started to realize this. I think the biggest moment I realized it was in that moment um, when the, Booker is being confronted by the band that it feels like none of this dialogue was written. Like a lot of the back and forth feels like they were just told the idea of the scene and then they all just started talking because everyone's talking over each other and like trying to throw their lines in. And it's not like Robert Altman-esque where it seems (laughs) on purpose. It seems very like uh, the actors don't quite know the direction of the scene. So they're just kind of they're just all trying to display their ideas at once and, and it's chaotic. I don't know about that. Cause a lot of these people aren't actors. <laughs> right. Yeah. And when, when, when non-actors start talking, their dialogue isn't, I hate to use the word sharp because none of the dialogue in this movie is sharp, but <laughs> it isn't scripted. There'd be a lot more. Uh... Right. Yeah. You're, you're right. And so it's just very, very strange because when they're arguing, like I, I wrote down a couple of the lines, um, uh, this your music's fit for old people buddy but you don't really because like i was you kind of you grab that line as the other guy's talking over him and, and so um 
I, I also think there's a possible idea of here of certain people just getting a little overzealous as performers. <laughs> now, as somebody who was in Florida in the 1980s, that's how we all talked. We all, <laughs> we all used the word buddy. <laughs> so it's it's actually, yeah, it's very realistic then. <laughs> it is Robert Altman-esque. I, uh, I underestimated him. It, it, it's the Kmart Robert Altman. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> um, I uh, one uh, one line I caught also early on is when the lead uh, girl says about her brother. She says she says like I just don't like him very much. I guess referring to the fact that he's a homicidal drug dealer. Um, again, again, I think that goes back to my theory that when they originally filmed the movie, he was her ex boyfriend. Yeah, that could that could very well be, and that would kind of I think inform his reaction to punching the guy for being her friend more than it would as, as his brother or her brother. Well, it's also like when they enter, when him and the Miami Ninja leader enter the nightclub and he goes, Hey, isn't that your sister? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's she work? What was she doing working here? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And just, he gives a look of like jealousy. Like that's what the director told him, which a brother right. wouldn't give. And 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 she's clearly like I, she like kisses her boyfriend on the stage and stuff too, and that's like part of what's making him mad. Yeah. <laughs> and so it does have yeah, it has a boyfriend vibes, you know, a very like a stronger sense of ownership. Um, and then yeah, punching him in the face feels much more validated <laughs> as a as a human reaction. And I, I will say the guy who played the, I can't remember what his name is in the film, but he was the worst actor in the film. <laughs> are, are you the guy who played the brother? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, I would agree. He has a, I was thought he, he looks a little bit like a young Sam Waterston. That's what I thought. He looks like Sam Waterston in the killing fields. I was going to say a, a buffer, uh, Chuck Norris. <laughs> that, that works. Too. Yeah. He's got the goatee, which he probably was a student at the, at the Taekwondo dojo. And they're yeah. like, Hey, you know who you look like? <laughs> you want to be in a movie? If we'll, no, we'll put you nothing. on the cover, people think Chuck Norris is in the movie, you know? And he, yeah, he, yeah. We'll call you Larry Norris. <laughs> <laughs> no one will know the difference. I, I liked, uh, as far as the lines go, there's a couple, like, early on she mentions that because of her brother, she's able to stay. She goes, like, that's why I'm able to go to this nice college and stay in this the nicest dorms. And I was like, you know... I don't know what kind of college they go to where you can buy better dorms, but <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the dorms are places you stay for a year and can't wait to move the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, in this fictional universe, there are nice dorms, apparently. <laughs> well, also in this universe, there is Park Avenue, <laughs> Central Florida's hottest nightclub. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, one of my favorite things also about this movie is the editing. Um, there are a lot of scenes. Every scene is either too short or too long. <laughs> Except for the fight sequence at the end. Yes. I, I, I think that that is probably, in genre cinema, one of the best fight sequences I have seen. It's intense, and it's also it's a little funny juxtaposed with the rest of the movie because you've had these, you know, these peace loving, uh, uh, very like it's a very innocent movie. Uh, you know, this band that sings about friendship and and that they don't like violence. And at the end of the movie, they are like the 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 film itself is indulging in how much they're like really. Go like driving into the violence. Like you see them fi- doing finishing blows and stabbing a guy in like a pond, and there's a close up of the guy's face just going Rah! like <laughs> murdering the guy, um, which is a perfect payoff after so much buildup. But what's interesting, normally that's where a film would end. But yeah. that scene with him looking over all bloody in victory. Yeah. But then it goes to the hospital. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you get a very wholesome ending. <laughs> yes. With uh, some of the worst makeup work when the yes. kid, when the guy is reunited with his father who looks 10 years younger. Than <laughs> he looks like a 24-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess they wanted to, because uh, you see a picture of him earlier as a young man. So I'm assuming that's just the same guy, but they put him in old makeup. Which, 
to me, would it would make more sense to just get an old man, <laughs> but for for that one scene. But he's and also his performance does not come across as an old man either. No, no, it comes off as very wooden, making him the second worst actor in the movie. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it's funny to go to that wholesome ending where because uh, so in the lead up to the third act, um, we have this character who's been searching for his birth father. He gets the letter and he's. Which also a great performance of him going, my father, and they all, every, all of the guys that he lives with, his fellow orphan band member, uh, taekwondo experts, they all come out of the house and they're all excited for him. They're all yelling, and then they they like carry him. They like pick him up, and it like freeze frames on them holding him up, which makes the scene that much better <laughs> yes oh it's a perfect crescendo to that scene just because at the beginning of it you think it's corny enough but it's not that's the least corny that the whole scene gets because it just <laughs> builds and um but then yeah it was that moment i was like oh this guy's gonna die <laughs> that was the first thing that i thought of because i was like oh they're setting everything's in motion for this guy to die you get a little scene of uh the the, the main guy who, who kind, of, kind of is like, is like a Beto O'Rourke lookalike, I thought. And he um, he's talking to his girlfriend and has like, a, oh yeah, I'm sorry, we killed your brother, kind of thing. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, no problem, but we're happy for our friend now. And then when they're in the car, and that's when I was like, I, I, it, the doom was just piling up, because I was like, everything's lining up for this guy to die. Well, that's because they were on their way to meet the father. Yes. And then the ninjas show up to kill them and it has maybe my favorite line in the movie where one of them goes oh man ninjas (laughs) (laughs) it's just like a like ah we got to deal with the ninjas now i mean if that happened to me i'd be like heck yeah (laughs) i've been waiting for this moment all my life (laughs) how did robert die ninjas a a (laughs) ton of ninjas surrounded his convertible that'd be yeah that'd be a fantastic way to go out and and the the scene that i thought was going to be the death scene was legitimately like it it went from zero to a hundred because he gets like cut across the chest and he's just screaming and then you know uh pk's character starts screaming and that's when it turns into a bloodbath of them just getting and in the in the logic of the movie, I'm thinking, well, they just killed their friends, so I understand, you know, they're they're gonna take it out and murder the rest of these ninjas. But then the fact that it goes from that to this very wholesome scene where he <laughs> he survived his injuries and they all just kind of leave the hospital, I thought they'd have a lot of questions to answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure the police came back and just saw all the dead ninjas. They're like, well, these guys took care of the Miami ninjas. Coke won't be coming to Tampa now. You guys are heroes. I guess, yeah, in the end, yeah, they, they, they took care They took care of the, the titular Miami connection. Because uh, otherwise, I mean, I, I would just have to take this logic leap and think the cops went, all right, clearly a bunch of ninjas showed up on bikes, stopped their car. Luckily, these men killed all of the ninjas, and what's done is done. Um, and there's also a great moment of... Uh, the bad guy kills his own man cliche where uh, we get a, a wonderful beheading. <laughs> oh man. It's, it's an applause worthy beheading too. When it so, happens. So I'm guessing 99% of your listeners have probably never seen or heard of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to say you can rent it on YouTube and Amazon. Yes. You need to do it because we are, I'm sure the way we're describing it is very schizophrenic. And this movie is, is schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about the music. Yes. This, this the songs mo- are great. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, how are the songs that much better than the entire film? <laughs> They're genuinely, they sound like something I would hear on, on 94.9 on like a classic rock channel or something you know or or they're, they're a little i don't know they're a little more hair metal <laughs> or, or um or not even metal like because they're very the, the lyrics themselves aren't really something i hear a lot <laughs> when i listen to 80s rock well the lyrics like the whole movie they have heart yes and 
and it, I think when you, we like, I think it's like the third scene is where we enter the nightclub or the fourth scene. Yeah. And they're playing the song called friends forever. You get a good dichotomy of who these characters are. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you watch them on stage, you can tell that PK had never played an instrument before. He's, yeah, he's just kind of miming it. <laughs> which, which you don't do when you play bass guitar. <laughs> right. Like, he's putting his whole body into it, which yeah. is great. <laughs> but, you know, he can be a taekwondo master and shitty on the bass, and he's only in the <laughs> band because he runs the, the dojo. <laughs> right. Uh, and his father is also, or his father or uncle or whoever that is who runs a restaurant. His is, mentor. His they're mentor. All, they're all orphans, and that's what brought right, them right, right. together. Another great editing scene when they're all eating. It's like a scene that just establishes them eating, and it it cuts to the the mentor like smiling and nodding, and then back to them eating, and then back to the mentor smiling and nodding, and it goes like a little too long. Like I'm getting that feeling of the actors waiting for cut, but he's just still nodding until that happens. It's kind of like a Tim and Eric moment where they yes. linger on a character for too long. <laughs> but like unintentional, which is wonderful. <laughs> but, but, you know, they probably did because that guy was the director. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that makes, he, he really wanted that close up. <laughs> he, he's like, you know what? I am the most important character in the film. He's like, this is, this is going to be my Hitchcockian cameo. <laughs> Let's make sure people notice. But I'm going to do what Hitchcock couldn't do. I'm going to make it last a little longer so my fans notice me. <laughs> right. Hitchcock's biggest problem was that he, he didn't let the camera linger on him that much. It's weird that Hitchcock's legacy was kind of taken away by Stan Lee in all the Marvel films. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Well, that's because Stan Lee, he, he'll have like a line and a wink and like a, like a whole moment. That's the, that's why Hitchcock was uh, that's why Hitchcock was ultimately a failure. I think we can all agree. Yeah, I mean, no one has ever seen that movie, the original version of Psycho, and the Gus Van Sant, Vince Vaughn version is so much better. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to hell for saying that. <laughs> Which, by the way, Gus Van Sant gives himself, I think, the same exact cameo that Alfred Hitchcock gave himself in Psycho in that movie. Because uh, I've actually never seen it. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, if you've seen Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, but yeah, in those songs early on, you, you, you get all the character development you need because uh, you hear the songs in their entirety. Um, you, in fact, you hear the Friends Forever song, I think, twice. Yep. Uh, it's, you know, the Friends Forever song establishes, okay, they're friends forever. Um, and then you have the Against the Ninja song, which... It is metaphorically, you know, about how they're against violence, but literally foreshadowing the fact that they're going to have to fight ninjas eventually. It, it, it's not foreshadowing. They're hitting us on the head with a hammer <laughs> that they're going to. Yeah. And we um, know the conflict is coming pretty much from the, from the point where the bad guys enter the bar. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's also there are also still a lot of long musical montages to set up an atmosphere or a, or a location. Um, there's, I think my favorite is the establishing the biker gang uh, or the bikers are all hanging out and it's, it just keeps going. And there's this whole part of it where women just start like showing their boobs for no reason. Well, I think they realized they were making an exploitation film and, and they, they didn't need, have boobs. They need that boob quotient. <laughs> right. Right. And they were like, all right, we'll just put all of the boobs in one scene. Cause it's literally in a five minute stretch. You see seven pairs of boobs and they're all of the boobs that are in the movie. And I will say for this genre type of genre, they are very unattractive breasts. Right. Well, yeah. Cause they're like biker chicks and stuff, which is interesting. <laughs> it's, um, which I thought, honestly, part of me kind of appreciated. I was like, oh, they didn't get like, they didn't try to fly in like, like model boobs. It's realistically like, yeah, these are the boobs of the people who would be in this place. Now they are in Florida. They could have, <laughs> oh, they could have used the real Miami connection <laughs> to bring some attractive biker babes. <laughs> up right. For that scene. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um well and then even as the scene progresses after that montage is over there's still like a scene where they're talking in the bar and there's a woman just inexplicably with her boobs out putting them in the brother's face and he's just like he's clearly like just not it he's like he they tell her to like get out of the way and it's it, i can just yeah i can just imagine like if they maybe had a um 
a producer or somebody showed up on set and they were like, guys, what are you doing? We need boobs. And they already had the scene written. And he's like, okay, well you just put a lady in the middle with boobs and then you, you have boobs. Or I figure she was on set going, this movie sucks. How can I make it better? My boobs. <laughs> she was just an extra who decided. Yeah. Um, um, I think my favorite sequence like that is when they're on the beach. Yes. Yeah. There's a good, well, there's a good moment where they, uh, one of them gets pushed onto that blanket uh, yes. of girls. And that also goes on way too long because he's like rolling around and they're pushing him <laughs> back and forth. And there's a woman who's like kind of laughing, but I don't know if it's the character that's supposed to be laughing or if the actress just like wasn't just was laughing at the fact that she was in this movie. <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love that. I love looking for performances from people in films like this where to, to look for the people who are the most embarrassed <laughs> to be a part of it. Well, yeah, you know, it's probably, Hey, we're friends with the, we're, fr- we're friends with these guys. So we'll be in the movie. Yeah. And then they get there and like, I have to do what <laughs> <laughs> I play. Oh, I play beach blanket girl. Number three. Okay. <laughs> Thanks PK. <laughs> the role I was born to play. <laughs> and, and I've read that, um, uh, sorry, I've been saying PK this whole time. It's YK. I don't YK, know why yeah. I'm saying PK. <laughs> YK Kim, uh, the the uh, auteur behind this movie. Um, he he, I guess, was a, a motivational speaker as well as a Taekwondo uh, expert. Um, so he had, like, in real life, he had a dojo, and um, and he was, but he was like he he. The point of this movie is this kind of this anti-violence message uh, as stated on the final card of the film. Um, and I guess he was a real-life uh, motivational speaker, and I can't imagine how strange it would have been to see a mo- like a, a speech from this guy at your high school or something and then find out he did a movie and, and, and just see the long, indulgent scene with biker boobs. <laughs> it's... Uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be surprising. I don't know. I mean, I figure when you're, when you're, when you're trying, when your whole career is spreading a message, you got to look for different avenues to do this. (laughs) Yes. And back then, you know, people went to the theaters a lot. What better way to promote, you know, Taekwondo, your school and your philosophy as an action film. Right. Well, yes. Yeah. Commercially, that makes it makes a whole lot of sense. And I can see if this movie was successful, there'd be people in Orlando, Tampa going, I'm going to go check out this guy's school. I've seen his ads before. Yeah. I'm going to go do it. And I mean, I really, you know, after hearing about a story, this movie just seemed to me as a 90 minute commercial. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of it is shot and edited like a commercial too. When you get the long montages and, and concerts but I think those, I think the long montages are what add to the charm of the movie because yes. it's obvious not everyone knew what they were doing. <laughs> right, yeah. And the fact that the acting is so bad normally would be, would be a turnoff for me. Uh, Draft House Films a couple years later released a film called Dangerous Men. Oh, yeah, I know Dangerous Men. Filmed over the course of decades. Yeah, that movie. It's a terrible movie. Yes. There's no, there's nothing redeeming about it. It doesn't have the heart. But these guys, you could tell all the actors were friends in real life. Yes. But they had, the chemistry is amazing with them. Yeah. And you, you end up liking the guys, even when they say some of the most ridiculous things. Hey, we should go on tour to all the countries that we come from, demonstrate Taekwondo. It's like, that sounds like the best idea ever. Right. It's and it's such a wonderful sentiment behind it too. Um, and yeah, and that's the best feeling is I never at any point, even though yes, they are trying to appeal to a market. I never at any point feel like people are the people making this movie aren't doing what they want to be doing. Um, they're they're clearly doing something that they they like the the message of it and they enjoy filming it. And there's also just like as somebody who makes you know, a lot of low budget stuff. There, there's this wonderful, like charming quality to seeing how they accomplish certain things. Like I love the, there's a fight scene early on in the streets and it's clearly like they just had no permits and they ran out there in the street 
sometime in like after midnight when nobody was out there and then snuck their fight scenes in. And there's, it's just such a, it's so charming that I think that that's just like low budget. Like we're just going to do what we can with what we have kind of mentality. No. And um, that's what makes all these movies like this really good because they were doing whatever they could to sell tickets and whatever, you know, yeah. Like, well, I'll talk about Ninja Three for a second. That movie was the jumping the shark moment of ninja films, <laughs> where <laughs> right. you have a demonic possession, dance sequences, and ninjas all in one movie. Right. And you like you watch that, you're like, okay, this is funny, this is good. I'm going to tell my friends about it, but coming out of the theater. When I saw this, I had to call my buddy and go, you need to see this movie. You need to go <laughs> fucking see it right now. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's a fun social experience of a film. And part of that comes from the fact that you know that the the filming of it, the production was also a fun social experience. And um and you feel as though you're through the process of watching the movie, you're getting to know YK Kim and his friends in real life a little bit. Well, you, you want to hang out with those guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you want to be part of dragon sound. Yes. Wonderful band name too, dragon sound. Um, <laughs> I, I, oh, I also wrote down, I, I just, I wanted to make sure I mentioned this. Uh, there's a great line by one of the Dragon Sound members talking about Jeff, the brother. Uh, and he says, Jeff and his damn dang selling all that stupid cocaine. <laughs> um, and I think that's become one of the, uh, like on the back of the Blu-ray, they mention like, they, they say stupid cocaine in re- <laughs> reference to the, the plot. <laughs> I do want to bring up a part where, where Jane goes to the gym. Yes, yeah. And you have the two hooligans just standing up front, not letting her in. Like, they have no idea who the fuck she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, it's also just, like, it, this is one of those movies that it, it has, like, a, a beautiful restoration, um, the, the, the version that I saw. But it's a movie also that can really be enjoyed with the griminess. Like, I feel like it's a movie that's meant to have uh some bad uh, color temperatures <laughs> and and some like you know just that that shoddy dirty film look i don't know because it's i like those movie that 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 look on movies that are kind of dirty like or, sleazier movies yeah like, yeah, like um, a samurai cop oh god i hate that film. <laughs> <laughs> um no but like i'm trying to think um what did i watch all right so there's a movie called Pets. Vinegar Syndrome released it. Okay. And their, their restoration was as best as they could. I mean, there was still griminess to it. And I think that makes the movie, because the movie's sleazy, I think it makes the movie better. Yeah. Since this movie is, you know, it, again, it has heart. I don't mind the restoration. I think it's perfect for what it is. Well, yeah, I think the restoration... The, the restoration's great, and it's still, though, it still doesn't... Like, the restoration doesn't uh, stop us from enjoying certain moments in the uh, in the picture. Uh, but I, I do agree, yeah, this movie, more than others, I think is more deserving of <laughs> a better picture than something like, like yeah. that. Um, and, and there's still a lot of great... Like, every cut in this movie is a little shoddy, <laughs> which is which is great too. It looks like there's like the film like jumps a little bit. What, what I'm jealous about in an alternate universe, people got to enjoy Miami connection two, three and four. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really wish, I mean, I haven't, uh, I'll probably get the DVD or Blu-ray eventually. Cause I'd love to see interviews with YK Kim and here is, I, I don't know if he did a commentary or something, but I there just was- would love to hear him talk about it. There were commentaries on the Blu-ray along with the Dragon Sound reunion at the Highball in Austin, Texas. That is incredible. <laughs> I, I, it's sold already. That I'm already buying it. <laughs> um, I do they still have it? Are they still? Do they perform music? Yeah, they uh, performed. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. With um, as many of the original me- members as possible. 
Were some of them dead? Or um, I don't think your Jane was there. Oh, I mean, they got okay. someone to replace her, and I think one of the other members wasn't there. Okay. Um, I think YK Kim specifically in this movie is uh, he, what's interesting is if you watch a lot of it, like this movie's not a vanity project as much as certain other uh, low budget movies that star the creator are like, he's clearly he's sharing the screen with a lot of other guys. He's not really the main character of the movie. Um, he, you know, he gives a lot of focus to uh, the boyfriend uh, and this, this ensemble. Um, and, you know, if you compare that to movies like, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Get Even yeah. or Get Even, <laughs> that's, you know, directed by a guy who casts himself as this perfect, like, action hero badass who has sex with women all the time and plays music really well, which, you know, there's aspects of that. Like, obviously, they're a rock band. There's, as you said, there's wish fulfillment. But I don't, I just don't feel as much of that, um, that, ego from the from uh yk kim as i would a film like get even well i think everyone in the main cast gets their moment yes and again i think that shows because they're all actual friends Mm -hmm. um but i I was thinking more like the room with that tommy wizard directed right where he was everything revolved around him Yes. And he was clearly making a point about himself. Yeah. You know, his character was really like a, he was a stand in for himself in in real life. Um, And YK was a stand in for himself here. Like at the end of the day, he was the hero of the movie. (laughs) Right. But again, you you look at this, you're like, this was a true ensemble. Yeah. Yeah. And, And just, and that's the kind of like when you're a low budget filmmaker, you're making an action movie starring yourself to have that much, to have enough humility to like, to really embrace the fact that it's an ensemble and give everyone those moments. And, and oddly enough, like it, it works the moving parts in terms of structure. The fact that, you know, you have the story with the one character looking for his dad, you have another character who's, you know, his, whose girlfriend is tied up with the, the, the evil ninjas. Uh, it's, to a certain extent, it's smarter writing than you generally get in these low-budget action movies from the time. Well, again, yeah, you could tell it was it, it was a project that everyone loved being with, being around, and being part of. Yeah. And I'm going to sound cliche. It just brings it back to the main song of the film. You can tell <laughs> these are friends forever. <laughs> right, exactly. I, um, I do want to point out one thing. There's a, there's a sequence where one of the band members is kidnapped by Jeff and his cronies. Yeah. Why, why would they just kidnap him and take him to the structure? Right. It's like, well, I guess they were anticipating that people would, that they would come looking for him, I'm assuming. But they're the bad guys. Just do something bad. Get rid of him. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's this other thing I didn't quite understand. And maybe you can help me with this. When they're, dis- when they're going to save their friend from Jeff and the, his cronies, they immediately like start killing people. Is that right? Like when they're breaking in, they, they like, I think they chop a guy in the neck with a sword or something. He's a bad guy. I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember that, <laughs> but it is a little like, I don't think they've established that these characters have killed anybody before, but once, once the time comes they're they're just, they're doing it. <laughs> well, they're like, you know, Jeff and his, his people have been, you know, selling the bad cocaine. Throughout yeah. Tampa. The stupid, the stupid cocaine. Stupid cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh Weirdly enough, I don't. Most most genre films were created and fueled by cocaine. This one obviously wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I. Uh, well, yeah, because there's definitely a, there's a certain calmness to a lot of the movie and a collected attitude that it feels the opposite of cocaine. It's a very anti-cocaine movie, which no wonder it was highly unpopular when it came out, <laughs> especially in Florida. Yeah, exactly, especially in Florida. Um, this movie's trying to teach me a lesson. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> I love, there's, I get a lot of excitement when I watch, like, action B-movies, and there's just, like, a line that you know is setting you up for something, and there's there's a line 
before the third act where uh, somebody is like, one of the bad guys is warning another bad guy. And he says something like, he's like, they're a band, but one thing you got to know, they're all black belts. Like that, <laughs> that just like puts a rush where you're just like, yes, it, it's that it's the equivalent of, um, of in uh, first blood when um, Colonel Trotman has that, like, like if you're going to send in that many men, don't forget one thing, a good supply of body bags. It's that <laughs> mic drop. Like, I can't wait to see what happens next. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's always a sign where one character gives a hint of foreshadowing of what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the actual like action uh, choreography and filmmaking? Um, as someone who is a big fan of Hong Kong action films, um, this was action done on a budget. Mm-hmm. But I think most of the fight sequences are cartoonish, except for the last one. The yeah. last one was like, this is this is amazing. This yeah. is the. It's obvious you spent most of your budget doing this scene. Yeah. And it feels properly earned too. The, the, the way that it builds to it. The fact that the last scene is the best one is, you know, often a lot of movies like this, they, they, for the lack of a better term, they blow their load too early. (laughs) And so, um, like if you've seen a movie like deadly prey, Oh God, (laughs) uh, deadly prey has some amazing moments and then it just fizzles out. Uh, also covered in the best of the worst episode with this movie. I, I, I realized the other day, but um, oh, I got to say something real quick. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of deadly prey. Oh, great. I, I love it. I got excited when I discovered there was a sequel deadly or prey. I yeah. went and watched it. I'm like, this did not need to get made. <laughs> <laughs> and even worse, I bought them both on Blu-ray. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I actually, I like the ending to deadly or prey. I'll say the way that they incorporate the sun. <laughs> I actually thought I, the, the movie itself didn't need to be made, but the way that it wrapped up, I was kind of like, okay, that's a more satisfying version of the ending of the first movie. I, I will have to go and rewatch it if I can, if I can make you myself. To, you got to have a new double feature of deadly and deadlier prey right next to each other. Oh, that, that was deadly prey was a VCR a VHS classic. Yes. It will. And as you were saying, um, there's a great alternate universe where we got a Miami connection two, three, and four. That's definitely something that I'm okay with them not doing now. <laughs> no, they're, 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 they're too old. Right. And, and you just can't, you know, they've proved time and time again, you just can't recreate these lightning in a bottle gems like this, like this, like deadly prey, uh, samurai cop. They did a samurai cop two, And that movie didn't work also because they just don't know what to go for. Cause they, it's very hard to intentionally make a charming, good, bad movie. It's just something that happens. Yeah, you have to have all the right ingredients. Yes. I, I will say um, Robert Rodriguez, El Mariachi, that's a, that's a genre film. Yeah. And I enjoyed both sequels to it. Yes. But he also got a bigger budget. Right. Well, yeah, and you got the feeling that Robert Rodriguez was expanding on what he wanted to do that when he did like Desperado, he, he got to do more of what he wanted to do with El Mariachi. But now that he had the, the budget and the means, whereas I feel like if we got it like a, a Miami connection too, it's like the, the, the very reason for why it would be made now is kind of against why the original was made because now it'd be made to, to satisfy a market like of these fans. It would be, you know, I think we would inherently look at it in a cash grab way, which is kind of the opposite of of YK's intentions. Well, I bet you he thought he was going to make a ton of money on this. He probably did. He probably was looking for forward to a profit. Um, but I think he also clearly, like as you were saying before, was looking for a medium to share his philosophies too. Well, I mean, let's let's look at Kevin Smith for a second. I think Clerks is a movie with a lot of heart. Yeah, I think it's fan- I think it's fantastic. But Kevin Smith, for every movie he's made since, has been trying to recreate what made Clerks special. Right. And none of them, some of them are good, but none of them really work. Right. And I think Leave Well Enough Alone, and yes, I would not want to see a sequel to Miami Connection. Right. But I well, would and- like to see all these people in another movie together. Yes, I would love to see uh, Y.K. Kim just write another script and see that made um and 
by bringing up Kevin Smith, I do think you, uh, you make me think about like art and adversity. And that's just how like the, the best stuff we get are when people are often, not all the time. This isn't obviously, this isn't the case with Robert Rodriguez with Desperado and stuff like that. But a lot of times, like with Kevin Smith, as he gained more of a following and more attention, he wasn't quite able to get what he got when he was making a movie out of uh, like desperation a little bit. I, I'll agree with that a hundred percent. And he lost something as a filmmaker when he got the higher studio budgets. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I would love a, another low budget film from, <laughs> from YK Kim. <laughs> and that, and I, that I, I would too. I, I think a lot of these guys, like the guy who, the people who did Deadly Prey and the sequel. Yeah. Could have come up with a new story starring the same people. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, if you had YK Kim write a script and then a big Hollywood director with a big budget filmed that script, but without changing a single word of dialogue or anything in the plot, I would also hundred percent pay to see that. Cause that, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> Which director would you want to see direct his film? Ooh, um, do you have an answer? I'm going to say an obvious one, Tarantino. <laughs> Oh well, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Tarantino would have a like a definite like reverence for what he's doing. I I think it would be kind of funny to see a director who totally doesn't get that it's bad try to make it with like with, with well, an equal amount of sincerity. Then the guy who's directed the last several Fast and Furious films, let him do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, Justin Lin or uh, yeah. yeah, somebody like that. Oh, the guy from Saw. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, James Wan did Saw. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he could do it. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the Tarantino answer because Tarantino would definitely do something fun with it. Um, and he, he would definitely, he would kind of recreate the look <laughs> for sure. Um, and he would get A-list actors in it. He would trick A-list actors into being in a movie by this writer. Actually, I, that would be actually a really cool project where you have A-list directors taking these forgotten VHS genre films yeah. And just remaking them scene for scene. Yeah. <laughs> that would actually, yeah, that would be really cool. I mean, I, I, there's, there's got to be a market for it somewhere. <laughs> well, I mean, we remake shit all the time. Like, God, Little Women has been remade how many times? Yeah, Little Women. Uh, they just announced there's a new Scarface being made. Yeah, I, I'm actually not opposed to that. I'm okay with it. Well, it's it's going to be directed by uh, Luca. I, I always butcher his last name, Guadagnino, uh, who directed um, "Call Me by Your Name" and uh, the new Suspiria. So, I I, I I liked the new Suspiria. I'd be interested in seeing what he does. But I, um, it's one of those things where I'm just kind of like, did 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 we need it? <laughs> well, I mean, the the Palma Scarface was a remake in and of itself. Right. Yeah. So it it'd be the. The third Scarface, like Black Christmas, which just came out. <laughs> it's the third Black Christmas. It's weird. I just heard the 2019 one was actually good. You heard that? Yeah, I won't oh. see it because <laughs> there's only one movie called Black Christmas, and Larry, um, Bob Clark directed it. Yeah, there you go. That's that's the spirit. <laughs> um, I, I I looked up on Letterbox. Uh, do you use Letterbox? Yeah, I'm on it, but I don't use it as often as I should. I, I look up. I looked up some reviews for uh, Miami Connection, and I th- this is an interesting movie to look for reviews for because usually I'm talking about movies that are good in the conventional sense, and so I look up half star movies because I want to see like what kind of delusional person gave a movie a half star. But in this case, a lot of the people who gave this movie a half star. Uh, they totally get it, and they get why this movie is enjoyable. They're just rating it on a different metric <laughs> than I would. Um, but I pulled out a couple of the reviews that I just thought were kind of funny. Uh, there's one that's a half star. I watched this movie with my father, in all caps. Um, that took me a second to to get. And then this other one, <laughs> uh, it didn't occur to me until I read this review. The whole movie is in Orlando. That's the half star review. Because <laughs> that's the biggest problem with this movie is that the title is is inaccurate. 
eh, not really, but they didn't get the metaphor that the Coke was coming from Miami. Right. In the same way that, you know, the French connection doesn't take place in France. What? <laughs> <laughs> so the French connection one doesn't take place in France. And so, yeah, same logic. Um, I'd say, so if that, by that same logic, the French connection and Miami connection are both equally bad movies. <laughs> Good for that person. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say about Miami Connection? That you, everyone who's listening needs to actually go watch it. <laughs> yes, I it's, agree. It's one of the, while you're stuck in quarantine, spend 90 minutes of your life watching it. Yes. You will, your life will be that much better afterwards. And then when you're out of quarantine, invite a whole bunch of people over and watch it again. <laughs> what, here's, here's what I wish. Um, I don't know. In Lansing, are there any micro cinemas? Not really. Not in Lansing. Um, you're talking like tiny theaters. Yeah. There's the Sun Theater in Williamston. It's like the smallest one nearby. They do. We, we watch Rocky Horror there every year. Actually, there's one that just opened up in Hamtramck, and I would love them to show this film. Oh yeah. I, and just, I would kill to see this on the big screen with a big crowd. <laughs> I'd like to see it with more than 20 people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I watched this by myself a couple of nights ago and that was a great experience on its own. But so I can't even imagine how great it would be with like a whole bunch of fans and people seeing it for the first time too. Oh, I love showing this to people. They're like, oh, I don't want to watch a ninja <laughs> movie. Trust me. <laughs> right. You want to watch this ninja movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, it'd be a great my friend, my my uh, roommate and I, we do double features. We try to do themed double features. Um, so, French Connection, Miami Connection. That's the double feature. <laughs> I did uh, Miami Connection and Ninja Three: The Domination. Oh, perfect. Well, yeah, those movies totally. Those movies go together perfectly, and a perfect escalation too. To go from Miami Connection and then to the the Possession Dancer Ninja movie. I was going to throw Jim Cotta in there, but I couldn't find my copy. <laughs> Jim Cotta is also from the director of Deadly Prey. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I did not, I did not know that. Um, Prior, I think is his last name. Um, but I, I, I was talking uh, to Pat about uh, UHF on the last episode I recorded. And we were talking uh, about how movies um, I brought up that like, Nowadays, in a time where like physical media is kind of dwindling, it's nice that the biggest, the best physical media releases go to these like cult movies that have really passionate fan bases because they know that we're the only weirdos who are still going to be buying physical media. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> there's I a Blu ray of Ninja 3 out there, <laughs> there's two versions of it. Yeah, the, the, the original one, and then they went back and remastered it yet again <laughs> and put it on a show kind of like. I don't need to double dip, but um, I just read physical media sales are actually up right now. Really? Yeah. Because of coronavirus? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe people are sick of spending 50 bucks a month on all the different streaming services. Yeah. And it's nice to have them. And, and, and also like, I mean, like I said, for stuff like this, I just, I want to dive into all the special features and learn as much as I can about how. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what movie fans do. We'll watch the movie, then listen to the commentary, then watch all the special features. And then yeah. and go, put it man. on a shelf where it looks nice <laughs> alphabetized with everything else. That's oh, I do not alphabet. I just have my movies in no order whatsoever. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll, I'll actually, actually, when we're done recording, I'll, I'll show you my movie room. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, well, I'm actually, uh, I, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate yeah, it. I'd love to come back on and discuss another film. Yeah, Last American Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm totally happy with that, too. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. And thank you for suggesting this movie because I hadn't seen it. And like it's the, the entire movie before, so that oh. was just a wonderful revelation. You're welcome. <laughs> um, this is awesome. A great way to to spend a afternoon. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everyone. 
everyone. That concludes another episode of We Are Movies. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Robert for coming on and having a great conversation about an amazing movie. Uh, definitely go follow Robert on all the social media stuff. You can find him on Instagram at Robert2339. Also, be sure to like his Facebook page, Comedy at the Comic Shop. That's the name of his monthly showcase in Metro Detroit. They're also doing a whole lot of online content, and you can catch all of that on that Facebook page, including the Roast of Robert Schneider coming up in two days on the 27th. So make sure you like the Facebook page and uh, keep up to date on everything that he's got coming up. Also, if you enjoyed the show, um, I always appreciate it if you leave a rating or a review. Um, also, feel free to follow us on Instagram at We Are Movies Pod. You can also like the Facebook page, We Are Movies. And uh, you can also follow me on Instagram or Twitter or Letterboxd at Johnny Mockney, J O H N N Y M O C N Y. That is all for today. I've got a great episode coming for you next week. And until then, always remember that only through the elimination of violence can we achieve world peace.